Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Easter is up on us, and we've got a lot of different Easter resurrection celebration activities. We'll share about those here after a while, but it seems like time is just getting away from us, and it uh, seems like we just had Christmas, and now we're already at Easter. This past week's been a really neat week for me looking at, at what's going on in our church. Uh, I sat down late Thursday maybe even early Friday, and I was just thinking about all the things going on, and I realized we had somebody in our church family on every continent around the globe except for Australia and Antarctica doing something to serve the Lord, not just taking vacations. They were out there serving the Lord and doing missions and making the gospel known. That's something to be proud of, to have people from your church on five different continents on a given week. That's pretty awesome. So last Sunday, and I'll share this, our Brazil mission team, they're on their way back right now as we speak. Pray they don't fall asleep driving back from Atlanta, but they're on their way back home, and we'll be hearing from them pretty soon. Last week, Shane did a really good job cracking open the book of Joshua. And in your reading plan, you start reading through all of those I just think they're just epic scenes and battles of how uh, God's people, I mean, just conquered the promised land and made it their own. And eventually it comes to the point where Joshua is like Moses and he says, guys, look, I'm getting too old for this. It's time to pass the reins once again. And Joshua dies and he's also buried there in the promised land. But the problem was as great as Joshua's generation was. And listen, we got to give them a lot of credit. They did a wonderful job what they were doing, what God called them to do. However, unlike Moses passing the reins to Joshua, they didn't do a really good job at passing that, that faithfulness over to the next generation. And as soon as Joshua and his generation are gone, man, things just fall apart. I mean, people fall back into sin. They're, they're captured. Their enemies overtake them because they've turned their back on the Lord. And he's no longer fighting for them. They're sold into slavery to the nations that surround them. And then all of that brings us into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is, is just full of fascinating stories and, and really a whole lot of gut-wrenching episodes where God's people just fall miserably into sin. The cycle of the book of Judges that you'll read through is a cycle of our lives where the people start out doing good and in their prosperity they compromise their faith. They then fall into sin and then they suffer the consequences of that sin. They cry out to God in repentance. God mercifully hears their pleas. He comes and raises up, in this case, a judge that will deliver them, an imperfect person, an imperfect Savior, to deliver them out of that. And the judge, throughout the book of Judges, helps rescue the people. They do good, and the cycle starts back all over. The only thing is, every time they fall, they fall just a little bit deeper and a little bit farther into sin and away from the Lord. And so the point of this is that when people are left to their own devices, 
they're most likely going to fail. And people don't just need an imperfect judge to rescue them. The point of judges is to teach us that people need a perfect Savior to deliver them from their sins. Now what's really, I share all this about Joshua and Judges to set the stage for Ruth. Because what's incredible about what all's going on in the book of Judges and all these failures and all these terrible, sad stories is that at the same time we read about the people failing, God in His faithfulness is raising up a Moabite woman through whom He would bring the perfect Savior to save us from our sins. This morning we're going to look at the opening chapter of the book of Ruth. If you want to turn there, this small little book tucked away in the Old Testament is packed full of incredible lessons for our lives even today. And the book begins by talking about an Israelite family, a man by the name of Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons who leave Israel, they leave the promised land because famine is broken out. And they travel to the land of Moab, which is literally across the river. It's modern-day Jordan across from the Dead Sea. And they go there, and while in Moab, Elimelech dies. The two sons marry Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth, not Oprah, Winfrey, Orpah and Ruth. And then Naomi's two sons also die there in Moab. And so now Naomi has no way to provide for herself, no way to provide for her daughters-in-law, and she decides it's time to go back to God's country and back to the promised land. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 8. The Bible says that Naomi said to them, talking to Orpah and Ruth, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them, and they wept loudly. They said to her, We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Now let me give you a little bit of insight into what's going on here. A little background. Again, Naomi and her family had left the promised land. Left the land God had given them. Left Israel and went over to what's called Moab. Now here's the problem with Moab. Here's why this is such an issue. Moab originated with Abraham's nephew Lot and his oldest daughter. Now, if you're familiar with that story, enough said. We don't need to go into that. It's disgusting. 
So that's where Moab started with Lot and his oldest daughter. There was always tension between Israel and Moab to the point that God actually told Israel in the heart of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 23, He said, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, may ever enter the Lord's assembly. He goes on to say, Never pursue their welfare or prosperity as long as you live. God did not really like the Moabites. I think that's fair to say, right? Now, this Israelite woman has these two Moabite daughters-in-law. And she tries, she really tries her best to send them back. It's like she kind of picked them up. She's like, no, you really just need to stay here. Send them back to her, to their people because she realizes she needs to go back to her people. And they don't really need to go to her people. And so in turn, Miss Ruth gives us a picture of what true faithfulness actually looks like. One, the faithfulness of God in, in fulfilling His promises, and even doing so through an outcast, an outsider. But also, true faithfulness to another person and to the Lord. And that's what we're focusing on this morning. So the first thing we see about true faithfulness is this. True faithfulness is better late than never. I was thinking that when we had to raise the screen back up. Hey man, it's better late than never to get this baptism done, right? Naomi had wasted a lot of her life in Moab. She lost one husband. She lost two sons. And now she's ready to go back to God's people in God's country. In other words, Naomi's come to this point in life where she's older and still she's lost it all. She literally has nothing left. And so she's in this pit of sorts that she can't on her own ability climb out of. She's got to have some help. And she's ready to finally go back home. Now the first mistake that was made in this situation, I think, was when the famine came to Israel and Elimelech and Naomi at the time are sitting there and they look around at what's going on around them, even in the other nations, and they think just for a moment, maybe... Maybe the grass is a little greener on the other side. Maybe things are better in Moab. Maybe Moab has something to offer that this land that God has given us does not have to offer. Maybe their gods are taking better care of them than our God is taking better care of us. And so they forfeit what God had provided to them. And they go to this place that God had asked them to stay out of. To stay separate from. And that costs them dearly. Now this story right here. It was a story of so many lives. Because what happens is things get tough. Things just aren't going the way that we think they should go. Maybe we just get bored with the way things are. Maybe our marriages get a little rocky. Or something just makes us a little upset. Because bless our hearts, somebody hurt our feelings. And what do we do? Instead of remaining steadfast and trusting God and trusting God's plan and trusting God's provision, we start to look around at everybody else and we think, hmm, maybe things are a little better over there. Maybe the grass is a little greener on the other side. Maybe things would be better if, and fill in the blank. Maybe things would be better if I just had a different job. The problem at my job is not me, it's everybody else at my job. Maybe things would be better if I had a different spouse. Because I'm not the problem in my marriage, it's obviously the other person. And all these kids... Maybe things will be better if I had a different church because I know it's, it's, it's not me that's causing problems in my church. It's got to be the pastor and everybody else. Folks, many a good thing, maybe even many a great thing has been ruined because someone thought just maybe 
Things are better over there. This is how prodigals are born. The prodigal son that Jesus talks about believed that he could manage his own life better out from under the influence of his own father and out of the safety of his father's house. He believed he could handle this inheritance better than his father if his father would just give it to him and he could do with it what he wanted to. And he found himself in the exact same mess that many of us find ourselves in, which is far from home, far from God, wallowing in our mess and wishing and praying, God, somehow, if I could just go back and try again. I want you to know this morning, it's never too late for the prodigal to return. If you're the prodigal or if you're waiting on the prodigal, it's never too late. Here's the good news about prodigals. I read this week that you can take a pig and you can clean up that pig as good as you can clean it. You can wash it. You can make it look clean. You can make it smell good. I mean, it smells as good as a pig can smell, right? And eventually, what's that pig going to do when you leave it alone? Eventually, that pig's going to go back and wallow in its mess. Now, a prodigal, even though a prodigal may find themselves in a pig pen, eventually the prodigal is going to come to his senses and go back to the promised land. The pig will always go back to the pig pen, but the prodigal will always go back home. Naomi looked around and she realized she has nothing left. She has no one in this land. And she decides, I've got to go back to my home, to my people, and most importantly, to my God. If you're far from God this morning, I want you to know that no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how many mistakes that you've made, understand that today you can come back home. It's never too late. You're never too far gone to come back. Second lesson we learned from Miss Ruth is that true faithfulness is a choice. I think we see one of the clearest gospel choices of the Old Testament right here in Ruth chapter 1. It's a very emotional scene for all of these women. The daughters-in-law are clinging to their mother-in-law. and They're all crying. There's a lot of tears shed. It's very, very emotional. It's, it's, just, it's, it's really a gut-wrenching scene on this road where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And the girls are forced to make a decision about the rest of their life. And Naomi knows that if they go with her, it's going to cost them dearly. Because they're going to have to give up everything that they could ever have and be in order to be with her. And so she tries her best to encourage them. Go back where you come from. Go back to your people. Go back to your home. Go back to your old way of life. Even go back to your false gods. And when it came time for the choice to be made, the Bible says that they all wept loudly. Now Orpah chose one road. And Ruth chose another. The Bible says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye while Ruth clung to her for dear life. What a picture. It's a picture of the choice that each of us has to make at some point in our life. Whether I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to go back to where I came from. As I stand before His cross, I'm confronted with that decision. Will I follow Him for the rest of my life and cling to Jesus with everything that I have? Or will I go back to where I've been? Following the Lord requires a conscious choice. It's a decision. It's just not a decision that anybody can make for you. 
It's not something somebody can force on you or do in your stead. It's something you have to decide. You have to decide, is Jesus worth following with everything in me? Is Jesus worth the rest of my life? And you have to choose if you're going to place every single ounce of every fiber of your faith in Jesus and follow Him for the rest of your life or not. Likewise, staying faithful to Jesus after that first decision... I think the Bible teaches fairly clearly it requires a daily decision of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and daily following after Him. Every day you've got to get up and say, I'm still going to follow Jesus today no matter what that looks like and put Him above everything else in my life. Now, I think Naomi, we read this and it almost sounds like she's doing the wrong thing, right? By discouraging these girls from following her. But I think Naomi was right to make these these girls weigh their options. And as we say in Christianity, count the cost of this decision that they were about to make. And I say that because Jesus did the exact same thing in Luke chapter 14. Let me read Jesus' words to us. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, All the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. This man made a decision, but he wasn't able to persevere. This person said they got their life right, but look where they're at now. Jesus goes on to say, What king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then Jesus says, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Jesus wanted us to count the cost. And I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Have you ever really counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you ever really made that choice? Now, you may have made the choice to trust Him for salvation, like many of us have. But have you ever really made the choice to put Jesus first in every single area of your life? I bet we can look across our lives and find places in our life where Jesus is not first. Third thing, and this is why this is important. True faithfulness is all or nothing. Jesus didn't give us a lot of gray area in following him. Ruth lays this out in perfect words. Her response to Naomi when Naomi tries yet one more time to get Ruth to go back to her former home. Her her words are are perfect. Ruth says, no, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to live where you live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried where you're buried. And if I don't, may God judge me harshly. Ruth's commitment's been called a sevenfold promise or a sevenfold vow to Naomi. 
And she is completely 100% all in to follow her mother-in-law Naomi. And not only that, but notice what Ruth is leaving behind. One, she's leaving behind her future. Any ambition that she had of remarrying and doing something with her life, she says, I'm not, I don't want that. I want this. She leaves behind all of her people. All of her family, her home, she leaves behind her country. She even leaves behind the false gods of Moab. To follow Naomi to God's country, to be with God's people, and to follow the one true God. The point is, there is no half-hearted following God. There is no half-hearted Christianity. It is all or it is nothing. Wherever He wants you to go, you go. Whatever He wants you to do, you do. Whatever He wants you to say, you say. And you make Him alone the Lord of your life till the day that He calls you home. Now here's the problem, church. And I'm, I'm going to step on some toes. God help me. Unfortunately, there are a lot of half-hearted Christians in our churches. There are a lot of half-hearted Christians in our part of the world. People who profess Christ with their lips. But deny him by their actions. And, and have never given close to anything. Of their all to him. Now, now don't hear me the wrong way. Our church is filled. With great godly Christian men and women. And I am so proud to be your pastor. But let me share some tough love as a pastor this morning. Is that okay? I'll give you an example. When Shane asked for bus drivers and he asked for teachers for Bible school, folks, we're to be lined up to get our name on the list to make a difference in some kid's life this summer. What if we decided to use, and I'll just give you some examples of what all in might look like. What if we decided to use those precious vacation days that we earn to do mission work and go on mission trips instead of laying around getting fat and happy? I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. What if we truly gave a, a tithe of what God had entrusted us to furthering God's kingdom instead of furthering our own temporary kingdoms? What if we actually came to church every single Sunday in any given month? What if we spent time on our knees every single day talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What if we cracked open God's Word every single day and consumed the living Word of God like we consume entertainment and food? What if we followed Jesus the way that Jesus said people ought to be following Him, making Him the most important thing in their lives? Can you imagine how different not only our churches would look, but can you imagine what this world would look like if Christians followed Jesus the way Jesus taught? Mm. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's what true faithfulness to the Lord looks like. All or nothing. And let me put it this way. I think this is a good way to look at it. You either fully and faithfully follow Jesus. Hear me closely. You either fully and faithfully follow Jesus. And the other option is you do not fully and faithfully follow Jesus. There's no middle ground. So here's my questions for you this morning. First of all, how faithful, if you had to just figure it out, how faithful are you to the Lord? 
What does your days and weeks look like in your walk with Him, in your service to Him? Are you really following Jesus with every ounce of your being every single day? I mean, probably none of us could say we are. What steps are you taking to do better? Are you wholeheartedly following Him? Or is there something in your life that's standing in the way of that relationship that you have with Him? If you do, guess what that thing's called? I don't care how good it is. Guess what it's called? It's called a sin. And we need to get rid of it. The other side of this is how faithful and dependable are you to those in your life? To your brothers and sisters in Christ. Can they count on you? Can they lock arms with you? And storm hell's gates with you? Lastly, but just as important is, are you even following Jesus at all this morning? If you don't have a relationship with Him, He wants nothing more than you to make that decision to trust Him for salvation, just as these three children have demonstrated, and follow Him. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Lord, Father, I pray that you would teach us what faithfulness looks like. Above all things, faithful to you. Faithful to each other. Faithful to your church, the bride of Christ. God, help us to follow you and serve you and love you and worship you with everything we have. With all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. God, show us what that looks like. Thank you for these examples that we find even here in the Old Testament of what that looks like. God, help us to be willing to set aside even every other thing in our life, even our very own life, Lord, should you ask us to do so. To follow you. Because, Lord, we know that you are worth following. Lord, you've proven that time and time and time again in our own lives and all throughout history and especially on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never made that decision to follow you and to be saved, God, I pray that you give them that faith that it takes this morning to choose Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we sing a song of invitation this morning, of course, the altar is always open for those that want to pray. Or pray for those in your life. But if there's a decision, if Christ is pressing upon your heart this morning, something that you need to do, why don't you come this morning as we sing? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.